Welcome to Weird Games and Weirder People, a podcast about role-playing games and the weird, wonderful people behind them. Hello, wonderful weirdos, this is Diogo Nogueira, and today's guest is the wonderful Jim Miller. He's the creator of Crit Hit Convention in Arizona. He's also now the co-director of Tabletop Gaming on Game On Expo, which is happening from March 14th to 17th this year. And before we get to that, I have a few announcements. Wow, I, I sound so important when I say that. But, well, I, I will be on Game On Expo that I just talked about from March 14th to 17th. And I'll also be on Gary Cohn. I think it's from March 23rd to 25th, something like that. And before we get to the show, I will remind you to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and if you can, check out the show notes to see how you can support the show, help us pay the bills, the subscription, and everything. So, getting back to Jim Miller, we, we talk about conventions, how it is to, to build communities, how is his work now getting focused on bringing tabletop gaming to marginalized communities and places that usually don't have access to tabletop games, especially role-playing games. We talk about his experiences with game design, his, the games he's been designing for a couple of times, uh, the lessons he learned through life, uh, parenthood, uh, we talk about loyalty and duty, mental health, how he deals, deals with his ADHD, we talk about uh, weird games uh, he plays, we talk about Mouse Ritter a lot, how, how cool it is, we talk about Zen Buddhism, we talk about lizard people, we talk about many many great things and interesting things. Jim Miller is a friend of mine and we get personal, we, we go deep and we go weird. So let's get weird with Jim Miller. Hey Jim, welcome to Weird Games and Random People. So good to finally sit down with you after so many years we're chatting online. How are you, my friend? Good, man. Like that's that's what we we're just talking about. Like it's it's been so yeah. many years and it's kind of weird because we both started around the same time doing stuff and and yeah. here we are, grayer. I'm fatter for <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I've been, you know, fatter and thinner and fatter and thinner. It, it changes <laughs> over time, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to have you here, uh, Jim. And for for the readers out there that might not know who you are, uh, I'd like to hear from you with your own words. Who is Jim Miller? What is that you do, my friend? And can you share just? a small weird detail about you, maybe a weird habit or the way you dress, sure. anything like this? <laughs> that, that's a very long story about the way I dress. Um, <laughs> so my name is Emmanuel James Miller. Um, I am the co-founder of Crit Hit AZ, which is an Arizona um, tabletop gaming convention. Um, I am also the director of co-director of tabletop gaming for Game On Expo, which is a big gaming uh convention that we have here in phoenix arizona both those conventions are in phoenix arizona um i am dabbling in the rpg design sphere i had a zine that i did a couple years ago that was um alternative rules for swords and wizardry and uh hopefully this year i'll be putting out two games um uh, no strings no masters uh demon infused puppet rpg so you play little evil puppets. Uh, it's kind of based on one of a favorite series of mine when I was growing up. And um, and there's another project that's coming out. Um, it's a hack of Cthulhu Dark and um, Lasers and Feelings. And so that's going to be coming out um, here shortly, actually. I'm finishing up some of the, 
the final bits of laying out that RPG. Yeah, I remember that one, the the heck of Cthulhu Dark and Lizard and Feelings. What what was its name? Mm -hmm. it was Fear and Fear and Reason, right? Fear and Reason. Yeah, Fear and Reason, and that should be out soon. And oh, one more other thing, I I keep forgetting to mention this one. I am um, the president of the Tabletop Gaming Association of Phoenix, which is a nonprofit organization that um, we uh, that I came into this year. And so Crit Hit is going to fall under that nonprofit organization where we raise money to uh, promote tabletop gaming to underserviced um, people. So um, people of color, awesome. um, LGBTQ, um, older people, and basically the benefits of, of gaming as, um, as a tool um, to learn social interactions and learn uh, how to get along and how to work together. That's awesome, and, and and you mentioned no strings, no master as as an evil puppet RPG. It was inspired by a favorite series of yours when you were growing up. What series was that? I oh yeah, so uh, there was a series called uh, Puppet Masters, and okay. it was about these little puppets that um, the basically. Uh, it seemed like over time as the first movie was very much like they were like just kind of killing people. Um, <laughs> but as the series progressed, um, I took some of those themes because I, I recently rewatched a bunch of them um, almost back to back. And um, something struck me uh, about the series, which was that inherently this, this kind of, you know, low budget horror film that came out just like on VHS kind of thing. It wasn't really too much of a theatrical release. Um, centers around these puppets, but the puppets are always looking out for each other, basically, because somebody's always trying to take something from them. And so that's actually a, a core thing of the game is, is um, you have sort of this family that was created for you and um, you're sticking together in a world that isn't really meant for you and everybody will always wants something of you. So you have to sort of survive. Um, the caveat is, of course, you do it very violently, which I think is funny, <laughs> but it's still, I liked the idea of, you know, um, people choosing their family and choosing to uh, uh, take care of each other, essentially, like look out for each other at all times and work together. Um, so that's, I think that was, that was when I finally was like, okay, I think I know what kind of game I want to make. So, yeah. And then. That's that's kind of a theme, or you're saying like you're directing, you know, things for people to interact and have this opportunity to to play and, and come together. You're making a game of people choosing your family, and how how is it? How is family for you? How how close do you keep family uh, to yourself? Do you, do you have like a family you choose to? How how is how is it for because uh, like a curiosity about about these themes yeah. of the games you're making uh, and what you're working on yeah um so uh family is extremely important to me um i i i look a certain way and i know my name is like the most generic name that you can think of for a white guy so it's like jim miller <laughs> like it's almost a joke how generic my game my name is but uh my first name is actually emmanuel and my mom is from Mexico. I don't actually speak English to my mom. Uh, we only speak Spanish. Um, 
And my dad was uh, native and Mexican and uh, I guess Canadian or French somewhere. Um, so most of my genetic makeup is, is Latino. So um, growing up, uh, family was extremely important. It is the center of everything. Um, and I was raised uh, by my mother. Uh, so again, it was, it was these sort of values and cultures that my mom brought with her from Mexico and with our friends and neighbors who, you know, eventually did become like family and stuff like that to us. Um, so that's kind of like the basis, the core of what family, my family values come from. Um, my wife um, had a very different upbringing um, and, and she's, she's not shy about it. She's actually quite brave because she, she talks about her, her background and her upbringing quite often. But, um, you know, one of the things uh, she, she comes from a very dysfunctional home where uh, she's cut off um, her oh. parents entirely because of, you know, just so many, so much trauma that was caused. And so that always left her kind of out there searching for something, right? Because she never had that core of like a family that would look out after her. Um, so, uh, those things are very much, you know, uh, in the front of my mind. And so when, when I, I found a system an, o an open source system that I wanted to use for no strings and I was, I planned out the idea of like, what kind of a game would I want to play? And I was like, Oh, it'd be kind of fun to play like these little evil puppets. But, you know, as I was kind of working out, I was like, I don't know if this is fun. Cause like, I'm just sort of, you're just sort of evil and for no good reason and like it's cute for the first couple of times but then after a while it kind of you know there's not there's nothing there so it wasn't i was like you know what i'm gonna rewatch the movies and see if i find something and then about like the fourth movie or something like that like i it kind of clicked i was like oh wait a minute uh yeah these little puppets are looking out for each other because people are always trying to steal their the magic formula or whatever that powers them and uh, I was like, that, that is very much kind of like a metaphor. They have to stick together. The world is very cruel and is not made for them because they're puppets, right? They're small. And uh, they somehow have to overcome these giant odds. And, and in the game, you're quite fragile. Because, um, again, it, it, it takes into account, you know, you're, you know, two feet tall and, uh, or, you know, maybe a foot tall and people are people size. So things can be very dangerous for you. Um, so I wanted to to do a game about that, about surviving, about overcoming and about sticking together. Yeah, that's, that's a great theme, but you did forget one thing about, you know, a weird detail about yourself. Can you, can you share yeah. anything? So I, I listen to your podcast all the time. So I know this question is coming. So I'm always like, what the hell am I going to say? Cause there's so many weird things about me. Um, <laughs> I usually so ask someone okay. that knows me, like, what is something weird about me? And they, they tell me. <laughs> Oh my God, if I did that, uh, we would be here just talking about that. Um, I'll give you two things. Uh, most people are surprised um, that I served in the army for 10 years. Um, so people are always kind of surprised because I don't come across as like your typical army guy. Um, but you know, I very much am. Um, and well, then, what is uh, the an army guy? Other, uh, you know, usually there's a stereotype of like your army guys. They're very uh, sort of like... Uh, usually, you know, most of them come from either very poor neighborhoods, which I did, but that's not how I joined. Um, or they come from like rural America, right? So it's all these people that grew up in a very rural, uh, typical 
Americana kind of background, you know, you know, driving pickup trucks and, and hanging out in fields and doing all this stuff. And I am the complete opposite. I was a punk rocker in LA in like the nineties and hung out in goth clubs. Like my experience was never hanging out in a pickup truck. Mine was more like hanging out in Hollywood, walking over like passed out hookers on drugs. Like it was a weird, that was a very strange upbringing for me. Uh, so much so that now, you know, when I got older and I experienced sort of like normal, uh, quote unquote, normal, regular American life, it was very strange for me. And it was, it was almost like going to another alien world. And, and like, I remember the first time I saw a mechanical bull, people thought that I was fucking with them because I was like, is that real? Can I ride that? And they're like, what? And I said, the, the, the mechanical bull, like, <laughs> yeah, of course you can. Like, they're looking at me like I'm an idiot. Like, yeah, of why wouldn't you? I was like, because I've never seen one. Like I just see it in movies. Like, do people actually yeah. ride those? They're like, oh yeah, they do. And they're like, you don't want to get on it then. And I was like, all right, I won't. But like those things were so weird to me because I'd never seen them before. Um, so that that that's uh, you know that that made me very much stand out in sort of like the stereotypical army guy, right? Um, but you know, uh, I, I I did I did it for ten years. So obviously, I loved it. And um, you know, if, if if I had the chance, I probably would have done the full 20 on hindsight. Um, but I didn't, I chose to stay here in Arizona cause I got sent here as a recruiter and then here I am. Uh, the yeah. second thing that is weird that I would point out is, um, I know sometimes you dive into like people's, uh, spiritual beliefs and, and that kind of stuff in your show. Um, I am an atheist. I am a hardcore, I believe in nothing like nothing supernatural, nothing at all. Um, almost nothing. There is one thing that people always almost think is weird nothing. because like <laughs> people are used to me being like the guy that's like, come on, grow up. Right. I'm very cynical about things like that. Um, but I do have one thing because whenever I see it, people always kind of stop and give me a weird look and then they just kind of laugh it off, which is, I do believe that if you stack your dice during a game, it's bad luck. And I also believe that if you roll your dice without needing to roll your dice, you're just sitting there rolling your D20, you're going to wear off any good rolls. Like <laughs> I just don't do it. Like I don't do it because I, I, in the back of my head, there's always this thing like you're going to fucking kill your dice this way. Like you're not going to roll anything good if you keep screwing around. And so I always tell people, it's like, don't, don't roll your dice. Like don't do that or don't stack your dice. It's bad luck. Um, <laughs> and I am very strict about those things. So that is kind of a weird quirk that I have. Yeah. And of course, it's uh, gaming related because I'm a fucking dork. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have stuff with dice. I, I remember telling here in the podcast about my players not wanting to use my dice because GM dice is like, no. <laughs> yeah. And you I usually very luck with them. So, yeah. <laughs> I used to have two dice. Um, and I think I just have one of them left um, and I replaced it. But I had two dice, a black one and a white one. And I got this idea from the guy who got me back into rpgs because i was out of rpgs for a long time and um the gm who kind of reeled me back in um every once in a while he would go in his dice bag and he would pick out this dice and he would hold it and say and it was, it was very dramatic right he was very dramatic he was really funny like and he knew he always did like these funny voices and stuff but he was always like this is bone <laughs> I'm going to roll bone now. And like, sure enough, every time he did, it was nothing good happened yeah. to us. And so I sort of stole that idea and I still have, so I had my own version 
of bone and death, which is a black one and a white one. <laughs> and I've lost them over time, but I've sort of replaced them. So there's always a bone and death in my dice bag. So, yeah. That's a good idea. I had I had a GM that would do kind of pretend to do like Jedi tricks. So you would roll the <laughs> dice, but he would like wave his hand and say one. And and if it, if you roll a one, it's like, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Stop it. <laughs> But anyway, Jim, uh, the theme of the podcast is kind of the weird things, but in kind of in a positive way. Uh, one of our our you know quotes is "weirder than you wonderful." Uh, but we always ask guests here to try to define what is weird for them and how they approach it, both in their work that they do and, and their life in general. So, Jim, what is weird for you, and, and how do you approach it? How do you seek it in, in general? So, um, you know, like I mentioned, I, 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 I was the outcast always and, and almost everything that I've ever done. I, I tell my wife that I have lived my life as an outsider. Um, I've never been like fully comfortable, like I'm comfortable socially. I don't have any kind of social anxiety or anything like that. I'm actually very comfortable in front of people but I never feel like I belong anywhere. Like I'm like, no place is really like, uh, truly my people. I think, I think, uh, you know, being around gamers definitely is, is the closest that, that I probably have something like that. I mean, besides my wife and my family, like the, that's the only you know place I'm truly like I'm home. But, um, so with that being said, like sort of always living my life as this outsider, you know, it started when I was a kid, you know, I grew up listening to punk, I was really into punk. And then as I got into high school, I got into like goth and industrial. And, and so I was never part of like mainstream normal. Um, I've always gravitated towards these sort of fringe things, right. From like the way that I dressed and stuff before and uh, the music that I would listen to the movies. I like, I was a big horror movie buff and I didn't realize there was, I didn't really know anybody that liked horror movies. I mean, I knew like a handful of people, maybe like two or three, but it wasn't a normal thing by any chance, by any means. Uh, even to, you know, uh, when I got back into role-playing games, you know, um, or in high school, when I, when I, you know, in high school, I, I was part of a gaming club and, you know, it was already kind of the late eighties. So, you know, RPGs weren't really a thing, but here I was still playing these weird games that, you know, people didn't understand um to being older you know and uh living in places where it was very much middle america kind of thing and that was also foreign to me so like my life has always felt weird you know like being in the army i, I wasn't the typical army guy you know um you know i'm not a big tough macho looking guy i, I don't look intimidating i don't sound it you know um Have but very much i identified Have you tried? No, no, <laughs> no. Um, like you get into scuffles sometimes because you hang out with a bunch of army guys and eventually yeah. people start throwing punches. But like, it was never a thing where like I'm trying to intimidate somebody because it's it's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I don't know. It might um, be a skill. You might learn something. I don't know. There must be some kind of training for that. Maybe, but I don't yeah. have it. Like, um. And, and, uh, so that was, you know, I was always kind of an outsider there and that was kind of weird. And, um, and so, you know, to even 
you know, living the life that I live now, I, you know, I was just commenting the other day. Um, I'm a born I tell people, I'm a city boy. I love the city. I like concrete and buildings. Like that's, I love that. That's my favorite thing. And I live in sort of the very outskirts of Phoenix, uh, near these, uh, this little mountain range, or it's actually a big mountain range. There's a mountain range and I live right next to it, like right next to it. And so much so that like, uh, just outside of my, uh, my subdivision of where I live, where all the houses are, if you turn right, you go towards a highway. If you turn left, uh, it's just desert. It's government owned land desert. And you can go up there and I bought a Jeep recently. So I'm like up there with my family in a Jeep and then coming down, going into a suburb. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking in and I have two little dogs, you know, I have two little tiny dogs that went with us and I'm looking at my family and, and like these dogs. And I'm like, well, how did I get here? <laughs> what happened? Um, not in a bad way, but it's always like yeah. my life is so weird. So, yeah. yeah. So weird, weird, I think is for me is, is normal. Normal is weird for me. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that's a very long way of saying that, but I mean, basically, it does feel sometimes, you know, yeah. When you go to places yeah. that the great majority of people your age and and, and lives near you really enjoy, but you don't at all, and it kind of feels like I'm an alien here. Yeah, exactly. I'm the one like, one you know, not I'll enjoying you... this. Why? <laughs> right, and 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 I don't always get it. That's something that my yeah. wife and I talk about a lot because she feels the same way. Where, you know, we go to work and you go to an office or something like that and you, you talk to people and, you know, they're normal people. And I'm like, what do you, what is your life like? Like, what do you, what do you do? Like, what is your life when you get home? Like, cause to me, like I'm watching YouTube videos about RPGs or something weird, or I'm watching horror movies with my kids or I'm playing board games or, you know, or, you know, I'm ordering stuff cause me and my wife are going to go dressed up as something stupid to a party, you know? Like that's normal for us, but that is so very different than the vast majority yeah. of people that I have no idea what their life is like. And that to me is weird. You you don't have like so. no, uh, no gamer friends, like no. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Know. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah, all my friends are. <laughs> yeah. Well, sort of like, so, you know, I always have to remind my wife, like we live in a bubble. We live in a very small bubble. Um, of just geeks and misfits, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone, all of our friends are geeks, all of our friends are gamers, all of our friends are weirdos. You don't so live near relatives, live for example? Like my relatives mean hear me. They are like, the closer I get to normal, like they they just watch yeah. soap opera and, and the news on the <laughs> regular channels and stuff like this. Um, and Big so, Brother and all that. Yeah. My family, like I'm from LA, um, which is like five hours from Phoenix. Um, but, uh, out here I have one cousin. Um, but when I moved here, I actually had all three of my cousins from my mom's side, um, or from my mom's sister, uh, three of my cousins lived in Phoenix and like two of them have moved away. And so, yeah, I don't really have like a lot like a you know, I have family in LA. I have the one cousin here. We don't really speak very much. She's busy with her life and it's just, you know, but, um, but yeah, I don't have like family, family here. So. Oh.
You still hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Did I cut out? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Hmm. Wait. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, your image was, was frozen and then I, I stopped oh, hearing okay. you. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, it's I don't know if it's the connection or whatever. Uh, Jim, uh, you, you as we were talking about being reared and you know being in the army and being different kind of you know not like the army guys, but I'm curious since you said you liked it and I was curious about what you learn and what you take from your life. And my question would be. What did you say you learned the most from from the army, and what, how that affects the way you live your life? Uh, because you know we we learn a lot every every place you go, and you spent ten years there, uh, so you probably mm -hmm. you know internalized things that you learned from there. So, yeah. could you share with us something that you you took from there and helped you navigate life in, or see life in a different way? Um, you know, it's it sounds cheesy. Um, but, um, you know, my time in the army was, was different. Um, the first duty station I, I was in was Korea and, um, I was in a very small company. Like there was, uh, six of us or something like that. There was, there was not that many of us. Like there was just six of us and that was my whole company. And so, um, there's a lot of duties, like the army doesn't care if you're six people or if you're, you know, 600. It doesn't matter. Like these things are due. Like administratively, these things are due. It doesn't matter that it doesn't really apply to you because there's only a handful of you. But um, yeah, so I got put into positions that were way above my rank only because nobody else wanted to do them, but they still had to get done. So they picked <laughs> the youngest kid and they're like, all right, guess what? You're now, you know, the training sergeant. And I'm like, what, how am I going to train you? You guys know everything. I don't know shit. I just got here, but nonetheless, you know, they're like, well, you're going to learn. And so I had to learn how to be a leader from a very young age, basically. And so, and then like that seemed to keep happening every place that I would go, I would be put in these positions where I was in charge of stuff that I had no business being in charge of, um, uh, up until a point that. I was put in charge because I was the only person who had experience doing certain things. So like when I got deployed to Afghanistan, I was one of the few people that actually had a lot of real quote unquote, real world experience doing my job because I did it every day. And, and believe it or not, that's not in the field that I was in. Not everyone did the job every day. They did other things. So next thing you know, I'm being put in charge in, in a war zone of like people and equipment and stuff that can be very dangerous um, above people that outrank me, you know, because people wow. would ask, why is he in charge when you have all these <laughs> other people? So I was, I was kind of pushed into this thing. And so I, I internalized a lot of the, um, you know, like I said, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I, I internalized sort of the core values of, a, of being a soldier. So 
um, you know, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, like all these, all these core values of the army I, I internalized and, um, and, and they're still with me. Like I still have a big value and loyalty and duty and selfless service and respecting other people and, um, you know, doing, you know, the, the, there was a saying that they always used to say is like, um, you know, it basically I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically like, you know, do the right thing, even if nobody's watching, because somebody's always watching. Right. And so yeah. I sort of internalized it, always do the right thing. Even if nobody's watching, you, you still have to do like the right thing all the time. And so I, I took a lot of those things with me and, and have always applied them. Um, before I had joined the army, I had read a book. Um, by a, uh, a, ret a retired army general. And he was this poor kid from, from New York, I believe. Um, uh, black and white mixed kid, uh, but looked you know, very much black. And he joined the army, or he was drafted, I believe, in the 60s, so during Vietnam. And then he rose and became the top enlisted person in the army. Like he went from the very bottom all the way to the very top. Mm -hmm. And then he worked for like the administrations and stuff like that. And I was fascinated by this guy, right? This is before I even joined the army. I was fascinated. I was like, like, that is such a, such a weird thing. Like you're just this poor kid. And now you're one of the most powerful people on the planet. And so I read his book, uh, especially cause like at the time there was rumors that, that he was going to run for president. So I was like, Oh, he's a Republican. I am very much liberal. So I was like, but you know what? I kind of like this guy. I might vote for a Republican. Like, and that's fucking weird. Cause I'm like super dead Kennedy's yeah. exploited level of <laughs> leftist punk rocker. Right. And I'm like, here I am thinking about voting for a fucking Republican. And that's bizarre to me. And I was like, let me, let me read his book. Cause I'm going to find something in there. and I'm going to hate this guy. <laughs> and so I read his whole book trying to figure out who this guy was. And I ended up having way more respect for him and was like, you know what? I guess I'm going to vote for this guy. If he runs, uh, he never did. But in his book, he had a list of things that were sort of his checklist of like things to remember or things to kind of live by. Right. And he put together over his career, the sort of list of his rules for himself. And when I was in the army, I found myself, uh, going back to that book at that page where they were all, you know, put together and uh, reminding myself of his rules. And every time that I felt that I had not done as well as I should have, or, you know, something went wrong, I would go back and look at these rules and go, Oh, there's the one that I missed. I fucked this one up. That's why this happened. And I can point based off of these rules, exactly where my problems were. And that would help me fix it. Um, so all these things are sort of things that I took with me, um, and, and the camaraderie and, and I learned how to, um, not think about myself, to think about other people. Um, yeah. you know, when you're put in a situation where, um, I, I knew I was in charge and, and I had, you know, I had a couple people that I was in charge of, um, and that fluctuated between, you know, eight and, and 12 people at any given moment when I was in Afghanistan that I was in charge of, and I was the, the leader. I took that very seriously and I, and I, I made a, a vow to myself that these guys that I was in charge of were my friends. Right. And I made a vow to myself that, um, they were all going to get home even if I didn't. 
because I didn't want to have to talk to anybody's parents. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to have to yeah. tell a parent that something happened. Right. And so I, I made this very solemn vow that um, I would do whatever it takes to make sure that everybody got home because um, I, I, I felt the weight of the responsibility of people's lives. And that thinking of other people above more than yourself um, is something that has always stuck with me. So um, that was very life changing. Yeah, that's a great lesson to to learn. And and, and you, you mentioned, you know, being a father too. I think that's all kind of connected in a way. And and, and you're oh, fostering a, a community too, and taking care of, of people and bringing games. And and that that brings me to talk a little bit about Crit Hit, which was how I how I I got to meet you and talked about. Uh, this convention and playing games, go. yeah, and and Jim, can you can you tell us the weirdos, the wonderful weirdos out there that are listening to us a little bit about Crit Hit and and your work there and yeah. the history of this this convention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I it's a very long story, so I'm trying to give you the sort of the highs. But I I was involved with people that run conventions and got to know people that run conventions in Arizona. Uh, so much so that I had, you know, I have a friend, I'm still friends with him. I actually work with him at Game on Expo who would message me and go, hey, somebody dropped out of a panel. Can you just jump in there? And half the time, I don't know what the fuck I was talking, like what the <laughs> panel was. I just, I can talk forever about anything, right? So, you know, they would have me fill in and stuff like that. But after a while, I, I had said, um, it was, this was during the peak of um, Pathfinder and fourth edition was, was the current edition. Um, I wanted to do a panel uh, called um, Pathfinding Outside of Dungeons, a look at indie tabletop RPGs. And so I wanted to do a panel about RPGs and the convention fought me. They did not want to do this. They said, mm -hmm. we've, we've tried to do panels about <laughs> tabletop games. Nobody shows up, nobody cares. It's, it's just not a thing that people will show up to. But I kept pulling strings from all these people. I knew, hey, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. And so finally they gave me like some shitty slot <laughs> in a tiny room uh, that held, I think, like 80 people or something like that. And I had like 60 people show up. Wow. And, and it was crappy. Yeah. And so I was like, holy crap. Like I was, oh my God, I was stunned, right? Uh, to me, that was just an enormous crowd yeah. that showed up to hear me talk about weird RPGs that nobody played, right? And by that, I mean stuff like Savage Worlds. Uh, I think, had Dungeon, I don't think Dungeon World had come out that year, but uh, it had come out, but I didn't do it. But it was like Savage Worlds and a couple of other games that I really liked. I think I talked about the D6 system, the power Star Wars and stuff like that. And so I would talk about all these games that I really liked and, and, and played um, because I didn't, I didn't care for Pathfinder first edition when it came out. Um, I tried playing fourth edition, uh, looking back now, there's a lot of things about it that I think are very, very cool and I will defend, but it wasn't a, overall, it was not a game for me, but I will still say, um, thanks to a friend who used to run it and, um, and then Matt Koval, who reminded me that I still consider, I need to buy it actually the, the fourth edition monster manual books to be some of the best books if you want to GM monsters, because they tell you how to use this monster. Like they tell you the kinds of attacks that they have. Right. And these are all things later that 
you know, one of my favorite, my favorite, one of my favorite systems now, you know, besides everything that Diogo does, go buy everything that Diogo <laughs> does, um, is, uh, is, is free league system. I love free league system. And, uh, they are zero. Lands, zero, zero engine. Year zero engine. Yeah. Year zero engine is one of my favorite things in the world. Um, it's like Savage Worlds and Year zero, zero engine. Um, and, and lately I find myself in my head when I have to play out an adventure and I'm not, I'm not kissing up to you. I use your fucking system. I'm in my head doing, um, uh, a primal quest because it's just easy for me to grab some dice and figure out how something is going to play out doing something simple like that. Right. So I love really simple, uh, unified mechanics for things. Um, and so, uh, forbidden lands, when you look up their monster tables, they have how they attack. There's like one through six things. You roll a D six and that's how they attack. Right. Yeah. That's what fourth edition did. So, but never mind that. Like I, I still, those games weren't for me. I wanted to talk about all these little RPGs, all these other RPGs that nobody else was playing and trying, you know, the whole point of it was maybe I'll get some of those people to play some of these games with, cause it's super hard to find people to play something that wasn't Pathfinder at the time or Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So, um, next thing you know, um, uh, a couple years after doing this, people asked like, are you going to run any of these games that you keep talking about? And I was like, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> and so I said, you know what? Uh, I think I will. So then, so, the the uh, this was probably like 2015. I, um, I schedule myself to play some games. They put me in the Pathfinder room and this is the peak of Pathfinder. So Pathfinder society, they would come in and take over these giant rooms and there's like a bunch of tables and it's super filled and it's nothing but Pathfinder players. Right? Well, they put my weird little ass in the middle, in the back. So people were coming into the people. First of all, half the people who wanted to come play thought that there was a typo because they would look in the room and go, no, this is all Pathfinder. That guy's not here. And they would go find me and then say they couldn't find me. And then some people I actually watched come in, look around. They didn't see me. And I didn't know they were there to play a game with me. I just recognized them from like a panel that I would do or something. And they turn around and walk away saying that, again, same story. They didn't think I was there. I was so pissed off because of that. Um, I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do my own. I'm going to do my own convention. It's just going to be RPGs. <laughs> and Blackjack, uh, and yeah. it was almost a joke. <laughs> yeah, those are blackjack and hookers, and um, that was that was actually a, a tagline we we almost used at one point. Is you know, <laughs> it's our own conventional blackjack and hookers, um, and so it was almost a joke of like, can I do an RPG only convention without D and D? And eventually, I, I gave in and I had some D and D, but D and D has always been like 30% of the games at crit hit. And so I did this little convention and it sort of grew and we got some notoriety. Um, I, I tell my wife, you know, it's, it's very hard sometimes, but we've, we've actually changed. We feel that we've changed the landscape a little bit just by existing, you know, so things like some of the bigger conventions didn't treat GMs very well. Uh, mm. and and would always question like why should i give you a pass to a, a convention we're just going to run four hours of a game well yes it's four hours in the convention but there's another at least four or eight hours that go into it prepping for some of these people that's true like, so you, wow. you have to you have to do something for them 
And so I, I kind of fought that. And then when I made my own convention, like some of the conventions in town used to actually brag, believe it or not, they used to brag that uh, everyone pays to get in the convention, even GMs. I was appalled by that. I was like, why are you paying the people that are running your convention? Like no GMs, no convention. It's pretty simple. And so I was, I was so appalled. So I, I, I put out there, GMs will never pay to get a, into crit hit. And as a matter of fact, you'll probably get way more than, than, <laughs> than as much as I can give, I will, I will do that because, uh, as a forever GM, I value, uh, game masters more than anything else. So yeah, uh, that's how I started. Crit hit. Yeah. That, that's great. I, I, I remember going to Genko and like to, to be able to not pay Genko. Just jamming, I think to have to jam a five or six games or something like this. It's it's quite a lot. I, I one yeah. year I ran like eight games or something. I didn't even want a medal for this, but was always running place to place to to run something and I had like very little time to do stuff outside of of just running the games, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh I've done the same thing here, like it used to be like this really high amount, and so I set um, a standard and I said, if you run one game a day, then you'll get the whole weekend. So if I do, if I do two day convention, then you just run two games because I want you as a GM to go play other games. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, one year I, I tried to figure out a way to like incentivize GMs to go play other games. Uh, it didn't really work out and I might try to get in the future, but, but it's always been important for me that if you attend a convention, it should be fun. It shouldn't be, like I should do the work. Like we should do the work. The people who are running it, but not not the people who are running games. They should they should enjoy it. Yeah, it's 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 hard. Yeah, it, because you're always trying to check out everything. And if it's a convention that has a lot, you're like running from place to place, and then having a little more time to check it out. It it must be great. So great work for that. Uh, yeah, for sure. And and. Jim, you're always you work with conventions. You have this nonprofit, but you also, you know, developing games and and having these ideas. Do you do you identify any place you draw inspiration from where, for having these ideas? Any particular, uh, you know, region of your imagination or your your background? I say a lot that I draw inspiration from my childhood. Do you have anything mm -hmm. like this for you? Um. Yes. Yes and no. Um, so a lot of like the, the practical things that I do come from, um, from a very utilitarian need, right? Like, you know, when it comes to running conventions, it's definitely, um, I come off of uh, experience. I tell, I tell anybody who kind of has worked with me or who works for me now, like I have a really great RPG manager now that, uh, what I call the user experience is the top thing, right? And for us, that's, that's meant, you know, making a safe and inclusive space, even before, you know, I think that was kind of like popular to, to put out there. We were doing that, you know, um, we were, you know, I, when, when it's basically me and my wife ran it, basically the two of us for a number of years. And, and I used to tell people crit hit was never designed to make money. It's actually, I used to, I run conventions the stupidest way you can run a convention. Like crit hit was, is outrageously expensive to, to do because of the way that I used to run it. Now I've had to adjust that model slightly, um, post COVID because everything got so expensive, but I'm still trying to keep that same spirit 
alive and um so it was never made to make money and when there when there isn't that that profit motive um built into it it's really easy to tell people to fuck off you know what i mean like it's really easy and so if if i saw people doing anything that would cause somebody to walk away from this hobby um i get very protective about that right because i've spent my whole life desperately trying to gather people to play these silly little games you know that aren't dnd and it's so hard to find these people that like if somebody does something to make somebody walk away or they don't want to do it because they're uncomfortable or somebody says something stupid like i jump on those people and i'm like all right you need to get the fuck out i i don't care i'm not making that much money it doesn't matter to me i have a job <laughs> you know i have a job i have kids i have family i have all the things that matter to me this does not this should be fun and i have no patience or tolerance for um people that drive people away from the hobby that i love so much um so that's the inspiration for as far as like creative inspiration it's all the stuff that i've consumed you know it's music um uh it's music it's movies uh comic books video games um other rpgs because you know uh one of my friends who owns a, a game shop up here he's like there's two hobbies <laughs> there's playing rpgs and reading rpgs those are two very different hobbies because you can do one and you can do the other but it's really hard to do both <laughs> um so it i read is. a lot of, of rpgs yeah i'm fascinated with rules and how clever people are yeah so those are the things that inspire me a lot of music though mostly music that's that's cool and and what would be like your favorite music that's currently inspiring you right now and what are they inspiring you in, in your work or in the in the games you're, you're making um so um i found out last year <laughs> uh, i found out last year i have something called anaphantasia so what that is uh, is um like the test if you have it is they say you know picture an apple and picture the apple and then describe what you're what you see in, in your mind's eye of this apple and some people will say you know you know you ask does it look like a photograph does it look like a drawing does it look realistic Do you, is it like a memory right where you're seeing this apple and you can describe it uh, because everyone has like these pictures that they yeah. imagine right people with anaphantasia do not have that so i picture nothing um wow. and there's there's levels of it right but mm -hmm. if you tell me to to uh think of something i don't have a picture in my mind's eye sometimes it's a very very uh foggy wispy smoky kind of image but it's never really like a picture picture i have very few of those in my head there's a few but not a lot um because of that um I, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. I had no idea until I somehow stumbled on a YouTube video. Yeah. Um, because I always thought things like, and the thing that, that caught me, I was telling my friend about this recently. We always think that, people that think me, like us, right? We always think, and yeah, people think like, like I do, right? Well, again, I'm skeptical of everything, right? I'm skeptical and I'm cynical. So, um, you know, when I, I was like, oh, this is bullshit. And, but then they're like, yeah, people who have anaphantasia, always like certain things don't register with them. Like when people say, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, picture this in your mind. They always think that it's a, it's a, um, it's just a phrase. It doesn't mean anything. And I was like, oh shit, that's me. Cause I always thought when people said in your mind's eye or picture something in your mind, it's not literal because nobody can do that. <laughs> well, turns out everyone can, except for me, right? Like I just yeah. can't do it. Um, so because I don't have those things, um, uh, what I do have is, is, um, is music. So music will trigger memories and will, um, put me in a, uh, in a headspace. Um, so if I'm writing anything really, uh, there's always music because that helps, um, set a tone or a mood. Yeah. That, that's something I, I wanted to ask you too, is that is, do you have a creative ritual or any kind of preparation you do before you sit down either to write or, you know, to, to work on the administrative part of, you know, planning the conventions, like do you put on shoes on, do you, you know, put some music to get into the mood or wake up in the morning, have I anything wish. like this? I wish I have, uh, I have ADHD, like pretty bad. Um, I'm medicated, so my life has been better since I'm on medications, but I, I have ADHD. So, so rituals are not a thing that I'm very good at. Like I wish I was, and I'm trying to get better at it, but, um, but yeah, I've, I've done those things where like, I'll, I'll get up and I'll, you know, put my shoes on and I come into my office. Um, I'm lucky enough that I, I have like a little office here, uh, at home and I get to work. If it's something that I need to like, just bust some work out, like just do work. Right. Um, Uh, I will typically have to put on, and this is, this goes back, like I'll, I'll put on old school eighties punk, um, or synth wave generally stuff with no lyrics because it distracts me, but like eighties punk stuff. because I know it so well that I don't like the lyrics and the singing doesn't distract me because my brain is already engaging with it. It's and like it doesn't a distract routine, me. It's right? just like a habit. You're all, yeah. You're all this is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I anticipate the beats that makes and sense. I anticipate you know the that breaks. Makes sense. Yeah. And so it helps me focus and uh which is obnoxious to people around me, but that's that's what I do. Yeah. Jim, what what do you say is like the weirdest thing about, you know, organizing a convention? Like what is the weirdest thing that have ever happened to you doing this work? <laughs> <laughs> There's that probably is, uh, a lot of stories. There's probably that's a that's a, a lot. that's a five part series we're gonna do. <laughs> um, you know, there isn't any one thing. Um, it's and 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 this sounds. Um, this might not be you know, the 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 correct thing to say. Um, but that's never stopped me anyway. I mean, there was uh, no the ability things to say, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the ability of people, and I'm going to say something negative and then I'm going to finish off with something positive. So I'm, I'm going somewhere. Uh, the ability of people to ignore shit behavior and shit situations just because it'll take away from their thing that they like doing right so people will put up with the shittiest behavior with the shittiest situations um just because they so desperately want to hang on to something right um 
I had, uh, I, I, I actually had a meeting with somebody who was, uh, involved tangentially with, with a situation that was, that was really bad. It was really bad towards this, this woman and, and not, not anything like illegal bad, but it was bad enough that she was bothered by it. And she asked me to advocate for her with some people. And I did. And, and I had to have this meeting with this guy and I was like, you know, all these things are happening. Um, but you're still participating in this thing. Like, and you tell everybody you're a safe haven for, uh, for women and for, for LGBTQ and all this stuff. Like you, you keep telling people this, but like when it comes down to it, you're not doing anything. You have the power to say, I'm going to walk away from this. I'm not going to facilitate these things anymore for somebody else to be able to do something. And, but you're not, you choose not to. And, and I was, and I told him like, you're a piece of shit, like to his face. Right. And, and I sat there and berated him and I was like, you have to realize what you're doing is shitty. And now you're a piece of shit by proxy. Uh, And you could, you could walk away and not help this situation, you know, continue on, but, but you choose not to. And, And I was like, why would you do that? And he told me because, you know, he was going through some personal things at the time, you know, with his relationship and, and all this stuff. And this was the only bit of happiness that he had in his life. I was like, but it's, is it worth it when somebody else is unhappy just to give yeah. you your happiness? Like, I don't think that's worth it. It's not worth it if somebody else is uncomfortable or something like that. Um, and, and this type of story happens way more often than people talk about. When you start talking to convention runners or people who do events or people who run companies and stuff like that, nobody wants to talk about these things um, because they do happen, but nobody wants to talk about them because in the end, nobody cares because, you know, it'll take away from the thing that they like. And so that ability of people to look past that is always surprising and shocking and sad to me. But I'll say something positive now is that um, I usually give a speech, um, you know, so hit, you know, usually is like, if it's a, if it's a three day event, it'll be that Thursday. If it's a weekend event, like a Saturday, Sunday, it'll be that Friday, but we always kind of start off in the bar, right? Cause all the, all the great adventures start in a tavern. Right. Yeah. And so hotels always have like a bar. So we have like a bar night, you know, the, the night before everybody's hanging out and I, and I thank everybody for coming and I have a, 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 uh, a sort of canned speech and it, it goes along the lines of, you know, um, these games, they're, they're make-believe games. They're, they're, they're the kind of thing that children do, right? They, they play pretend. And so it's easy to dismiss these things, right? Um, because they are childish sort of things. But what if they're not? Right. And I said, you know, games and game designers matter a lot because no matter what it is that you're doing, um, these, these things, these people who make games, the people who publish games, the people who, who work tirelessly to run the games, right. The people who are prepping, um, the, the people who, who play them, they're coming together usually in person and they're sitting around a table and they're playing like children 
and forgetting all the bullshit that you have to deal with as an adult. And there's so much bad shit. There's so much negativity and there's so much, you know, just garbage stuff out there that there is a thing that you can come to and just forget about that for a little bit and just be happy with people. As a father, you know, um, my oldest son is 30. Uh, I would play games with him when he was younger. Um, playing games matters. The people who make games matter because they're allowing people to create memories and those memories will outlive you sometimes. So I have taken my kids on adventures and long after I'm gone, they're going to tell somebody a story about their dad who had a weird fucking thing with an orc and he was on fire. And next thing you know, everybody's eating bacon. And that was really weird. Like they're going to tell this weird story yeah. about a game that they played. That was a, a happy memory for them. And, and those things are important. Spending time with your friends is important. Having fun, laughing, uh, going on adventures, even if they're make-believe is important. And so uh, with that, you know, you should always remember that like games and game designers matter to the world and everyone being here together in, in, in this goes even like as a podcast, like in, in our hobby, all of us enjoying the same thing. We can transcend so many things that would oh, separate yeah. us. We can just be together and make happy memories. It and is. that's what's important. Yeah. Uh, community is so important. And even though it's a game and like we are thousands of miles away, uh, but we also interact too and, 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 and exchange memories. We talk about stuff not, not always related to role-playing games like we're doing here. And, oh, and yeah. all the places... I mean, that... how? Like during the pandemic, you yeah. and me were talking about like our families and yeah. and like, you know, I talked about my ADHD and you've talked about some of your struggles yeah. and like we're human and we interact and we, we, we get along. But it's because of that bond of a shared thing. Um, and I don't... And I think that people don't always know that that's why these things are important. Yeah. Every place I'm reading about, you know, quality of life and living a good life and, you know, free of anxiety and stuff, it, the focus is always community, is always connection and, and being together. And then RPGs are the great, great thing for this and conventions help you get to know people. Uh, most people that I, I run and play games nowadays, I, I get to know through conventions because, you know, my, my old friends that played RPGs that I grew up with, they don't play RPGs anymore. So all, the, all those things uh, are really important in a way. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Jim, what would you say is, is the weirdest game you, you played or a very weird game you played recently uh, that made an impression on you that you would like to talk about? Hmm. It was a weird game that I played. Um, it can be either I, tabletop, know, it can be a video game, it can be, you know, LARP or anything So ironically, like I, I work in tech, but I, I am terrible at video games. Um, I don't have the attention span for video games, which is weird. Even medicated, I don't. Um, you know, it, it's not weird for me, um, but... Uh, I've run Mouse Ritter, which is one of my favorite games. I love Mouse Ritter. It was one of my favorite games in the world. Um, 
and I've run that that game for for groups of people, and some of them have been just strictly five E players, right? That somehow I've, you know, I've tricked into playing something that wasn't Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> um, and and explaining, um, even even like just a regular OSR game, but but in Mouse Ritter it seems amplified a little bit. Explaining to people how you don't need all these typical things that you know I feel um, weigh down a good game. You know, I, I I tell people, you know, I call, I have this thing that I call the big lie, right? And the big lie that gets perpetuated about fifth edition is that it's an easy system. I don't think that's true. I, I said compared to what? And people yeah. always bring up Thacko. Like, oh, Thacko. <laughs> All right, never mind Thacko, right? But if you took Thacko away, what what is complicated about those old games? Nothing. There's nothing to them. You know, I grew up on Redbox D&D. That's a little tiny book, right? It's just a little pamphlet. Um, so to me, 5th edition is a medium complexity game. It's not a high complexity game, but it's definitely a medium complexity game. It is, yeah. Um, and so explaining to people how OSR games work and, and, and then... Uh, like I said, uh, Into the Odd really does a good job of showing people um, how little you need to have a compelling RPG. And and so in Mouse Ritter, because I like it, because everything seems so much more dangerous in Mouse Ritter than anything else, because you're just like this big, right? Um, seeing people click, because at first they're confused because they're like, what do you mean I don't need a roll to hit? And what do you mm -hmm. mean... I don't have a bunch of skills. Aren't we all the same then? Like, no, you're not. You have stuff. All of you have different stuff. Like explaining to them how it works, explaining to them uh, the principles of OSR, watching them with that look of confusion because it's so weird. And there's always a point where it clicks. Yeah. And you, you see their body relax. A little, they're, they're a little bit more confident in the game. And that's my favorite thing. It's, it's not necessarily weird for me. It's weird for them. I'm showing them something weird, right? Um, but it's that moment that I love. And so uh, recently, the, the one that comes to mind the most where that's happened consistently is in Mouse Ritter because people will try Mouse Ritter um, because of the premise. It's a cute game with mice. Um, that's not how I run it. I tell everybody I am a one-trick pony. Uh, I am Zack Snyder, right? Zack Snyder only does one kind of movie. Zack Snyder <laughs> movies, right? Jim only does one kind of game, dark and gritty. It doesn't matter what it is. It's going to be dark and gritty. If I'm running Mouse Ritter, it's fucked up. It's like The Secret of Nim, which is one of my favorite movies in the world, right? It's That's a dark movie. Watership Down is a very dark movie. Um, that's how I run these cute little games with animals. Um, <laughs> but uh, it becomes amplified because people play it because of the premise. It's weird. It's strange. Like, how does this work? Why does this work? How can this work? That's a big one. Like, how can this be a game? And then watching them yeah. process and eventually click into the game is my favorite thing. When it crocs and they can realize that mm -hmm. even though they don't have all these skills, they can do anything they imagine. And and sometimes it's actually a game not having these skills allows you to do so much more than a game that have all these things detailed and you have to do, you have to have this to do that and that's thing to do other thing and and it's sometimes the game not having the rules for that is what allows you to do that 
so much easier, right? Absolutely. Um, I used to, so I, I like uh, Power by the Apocalypse a lot. Um, I haven't really played it a lot lately. Um, there's a couple of games that I want to play um, that I've never gotten to the table. Uh, Nahual is a game that I really, really want to play. Um, just because I personally don't care about Mick Europe. I want Aztecs and Incas and Omex. Like I, I want South American stories, you know, um, because that's different and, and that's something that is 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 still open to do that hasn't been done very much. But um but when I used to talk about uh Powered by the Apocalypse, again, this was uh when I was doing um when I was doing panels, invariably because uh, I would talk about different PBTA games, um, invariably somebody, and usually it was a Pathfinder, you can always tell Pathfinder guys, because they have this confused look on their face when I'm describing the rules of like, what do you mean there's no skills and how do you do things? And I have to describe it. Well, you have to just tell what you're going to say and the words you're using will trigger something to happen. And um, so one of them one time came came and it was when they put me in that room it was 2015 though they put me in the room by myself one guy did find me so it wasn't nobody found me one guy found me right for a game we didn't end up playing because nobody else showed up but we talked and he said i want to try this because i don't think that this is going to work and i said why not and he said i, I think that's that's too much to put on people and i said the funny thing with my experience with powered by the apocalypse is um People who play role-playing games a lot have a harder time. People who've never played a role-playing game have consistently had an easier time because it does what they think it's going to do. Um, it's people who have bad habits of these games and systems and process that, that have a harder time understanding it. Um, and that's just because knowing how games work doesn't always help you. Sometimes it's better just to describe things and let, let the fiction uh, be the main thing. Hello weirdos, this is Diogo Nogueira and I'm back with a word from our sponsors. Me! I just released a new game called Cosmosaurus, in which you play a dinosaur space ranger who protects the galaxy from evil threats such as slime bankers, undead pirates and Cosmosaurus from a void dimension. It's a game with a runes light system inspired by Forge in the Dark and Lasers and Feelings. Uh, it comes with a bunch of tables for you to generate content for it. If you know my games, they are really easy to play and they have tools to help you improvise and play with low prep. It's an ideal game for one-shots, short campaigns and introducing new people to the hobby and it's a really perfect family game. I play with my kids all the time. It's a game inspired by Saturday morning cartoons. It's really well illustrated. Uh, by Lukas Kowalski from Poland and with a great layout by Guilherme Gontijo. It's a really fun game, you should check it out on DriveThruRPG, itch.io or exclusively in print on ExaltedFurner.com. I have many other games there, check them out, all the links are in the show notes, so click there. And let's get back to weird with our chat. Jim, do you have uh, any other hobbies, you know, besides one playing games? Something that you do basically for you when you like to explore, maybe creatively or just out of your time to relax. And because you know the convention, the work, role playing games are are a hobby, but also 
kind of your work? Do you have anything that's just for you? Um, I, I like retro video games. Um, I have a system, uh, called an Evercade and, and, uh, and what they do is they take licensed games and they put them on a physical cartridge. And so when you buy them, you get a little box with a little booklet and a cartridge and they have a handheld system and there's also, you know, a console system. So I have both and they use the same game. So I'll, I have a little shelf of, of, I have like, I don't know, 25, almost 25, 26 games, um, boxes of this collections that I have. And I, I play that when I get a chance. Um, I work on, um, Conjun, which is the, uh, the app, uh, that I made to run tabletop gaming conventions. That's, that's a hobby mm. because my day job is, is I, I create software for our company. Um, uh, and I came into this job. I was, wasn't something I was really expecting to do and I love it. So I wanted to do other things with it besides work stuff. I was like, what can I do? That's fun. And I was like, well, let me make my own app to run conventions. And so, uh, I did. And, um, And there's a couple things I'm going to announce with it very soon. Um, uh, tabletop events is, is great software. Um, it had a couple things that I didn't particularly care for and that I, I got it because I'm a tech nerd, but other people sometimes struggle with, and, and there are things I've heard from other people. So I wanted to see if I can do my version of it the way that I would want to do something. And I did, and, and it works great. I have a, a small team. There's two guys that help me with some of the stuff. And together, we're making what I feel is a, a, a very good um, oh, piece great. of software that's, yeah. that will help people run events and conventions. So not just conventions, but also uh, we, we want to try and make it so people will run like um, public events. So if you're running a game in a, in a shop or something, it'll help you sign up and stuff like that. And it's, it's pretty easy. And, and that's fun for me to do like that, that and creating graphics for things. I'm not a very good graphic designer, but I do like doing it. So that's always fun. Yeah, that's great. And where did you get an idea to be like, you were not happy with tabletop events, but does this congen will allow, you know, people to have a conventions online or have like a meeting platform like this, or basically um, for, for the schedule stuff? It's, it's, uh, it's made more for, uh, running events. So, okay. um, you could, you could use it for online games, um, just to handle like your, your signups, right. Um, so scheduling and signing people up for, for games is, is, um, there's so many different ways to do it. And, and it's, it is the bane of almost every tabletop convention that I know, um, with the exception of game hole con. Apparently they have like, uh, I need to go to game hold because one, I hear nothing but good things. Yeah. Um, and two, uh, I haven't seen it, but apparently whoever wrote their software is a fucking genius and is the gold standard because everyone that I've talked to from everywhere in the country always says, have you seen what game hold con has? Because that's really good. And I was like, no, I need to go see that. So, um, yeah. but, but I like tabletop events. Um, we we had a couple of issues uh a couple times with it 
And, um, and so there was things that I didn't like about it and that I wanted to improve. And, um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of the goal. And so, yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, I I can say that once, uh, I've used it for game for, uh, for crit hit and we used it for game on expo last year. Um, and it, it does a lot of things really good. Um, somebody was actually asking me about it, um, not too long ago about running games online, using that for their signups. And I said, absolutely. You can do that because you can just put a link to, you know, people's VTT, right? If you have like, like, I, I like like Albert rodeo where you have like a little static link that you can use. Um, so if you have something like that, you can just pop that in there and that that's your game room. Right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, I think that that's, that's, uh, that's something that's definitely going to be part of the official release once it's actually out there for uh, the general public to use. It's coming really, really soon. Awesome. Jim, now we're kind of entering the more personal part of the interview where we ask about experience you might have had and and stuff about you instead of you know games and, and, and the work. And one thing I'd like to ask you is like, what would you be like the weirdest experience you you might have had like have you ever had you know any kind of near-death experience or you know out-of-body experience or anything Um, like this i've had a couple of near-death experiences um are you comfortable talking about it or should we move i I generally don't i generally don't but i will say that the last one that i had um I don't like talking about the specifics of it. It was, it was, uh, when I was deployed, but, um, I will say that, uh, it was nothing as, as horrible as some of the people that I went overseas with had to endure, but it was enough that it put life into perspective for me very fucking quickly. Um, and it reinforced some things that I had already known it showed me things about myself that I didn't know. And, and it's and, been sort of a guiding principle since then. So you, that kind of changes your life in a way. Like could you tell just one thing that's like you wasn't paying so much attention and now you were, you were more conscious about or. Yeah. 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 So, um, it was a situation where like, uh, death was very, very eminent and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. Like completely powerless, uh, no escaping, no, no, nothing. It's, it's just, it's either going to happen. Yes. Or it's not going to happen. And everything is completely out of your hands in this situation that I was in. Everything was completely out of my hands and I had nothing to do, um, except for wait for this moment that might, you know, stop everything for me. So, um, I was around other people and I saw how other people were reacting and I saw some people, um, praying. I saw some people that were scared. Um, and I don't believe in anything. I was like, well, maybe I should pray. Well, now I don't, that's kind of (laughs) dumb. Like, um, so all I could really do was 
continue the task that I had been doing before I knew that this thing was coming, this thing was going to happen. Right. And doing it full well, knowing that I would never finish this task. There was a possibility I would never get to finish the thing that I was doing. And I decided in that moment, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I never finished. What mattered was I had a very, very small window of time that I can uh, appreciate something. And if I'm going to go out yeah. and I have no control, I'm going to go out doing the things that I enjoy up until everything goes black. Right. And, um, the lesson was basically that, uh, living in the future, living in the past doesn't matter. Living now is what's important and, uh, to enjoy, uh, the moment that you're in and, and not worry, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, if you don't, if, if you're, if you're reading a book and, and you know, maybe you have a, a terminal illness or something like that, like, and you don't get to finish the book, it doesn't matter still read it because it's the thing that you love. Right. And, and if you love it and you want to do that, then do the thing that you like, um, and be you to the very end. You have to be you. Right. And, and so that's what I took away from it is, is a deep admiration yeah. for people who do that. And, and, and a sort of signpost to like, that's, that's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you know, if you're suffering already for something that's, going to happen in two days you're wasting two days like if that's yeah. gonna happen you're gonna just suffer there like try to enjoy what time you have with the people you have in the moments that you're oh, having yeah. otherwise you know you're just uh suffering earlier without the need to so yeah i, I always yeah. get myself you know worrying about stuff that's gonna happen too and i'm i have to stop and say okay if this is going to happen It's going to happen, you know. I I can't change now. Why just suffer now? Just gonna enjoy yeah, exactly. what's happening here. Yeah, absolutely. And Jim, what about you know maybe other weird experiences? Or do you do you dream a lot? Do you remember your dreams or your own like uh, a again, person? Again, anaphantasia. I don't. I don't have oh, yeah. uh, very many dreams. When I do have oh, dreams, yeah. um, they are uh. uh They're, they're very the text-based so, <laughs> almost, <laughs> um, if it's a vivid dream, like for me, a vivid dream is something. And the, the easiest way I can describe how images in my head work on a good day is, um, you know, like Lord of the Rings, when, when Frodo puts the ring on and everything goes kind of negative and, and kind of wispy. Oh yeah. And imagine that, but like wispy or more smoky, like it's very hazy. Uh, but the same sort of, you know, it's just shadows almost. Right. Um, so I, I have had some, you know, like vivid dreams and stuff like that. And that's as good as it gets, but, um, I watch a lot of horror movies. So sometimes it's my mind playing out like a weird horror movie, oh, yeah. but I'm never scared. I'm always like, Whoa, that's cool. Oh, wow. This is going to happen. Yeah. And like, so it's always almost like a meta dream almost. because like I'm, I'm doing the actions and maybe I'm a little afraid or I'm running from like, you know, a monster or something like that. But in the back it's of my head, I'm still like, wow. This, yeah. yeah. I'm still like, Oh wow. This is great. Like there's still a part of me that <laughs> thinks it's cool. 
which is probably yeah. says that I'm a psycho. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do have those things too. Like my, my imagination is very kind of morbid in some way. So, for example, once I was, you know, I took mushrooms and I started seeing schools everywhere and like, oh, this is scary. <laughs> no, this is this is kind of cool. I like schools, you know, schools or something. Yeah. yeah. And and ha do you have you ever had any, you know, experience with uh, states of altered awareness, whether they are like with, you know, deep meditation or psychedelics or anything like, like this? The 90s were rough, man. Like the early 90s were rough for me. So, yeah, I've, I've had I've had some. Uh, I, I did stuff when I was a teenager. Um, I wouldn't do it now because I don't know how my brain would react. But yeah, I did, I did stuff when I was a teenager and I thought it was kind of cool. And, and uh, yeah. it was always, uh, you know. I never did then when I was a teenager. I ended up doing this after I became old as something, you know, started to, because of anxiety and stuff. And then I started exploring the more, you know, heavy stuff. But I was yeah. super afraid when I was like, a teen or anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't, um, and uh, and so it was it was cool because uh, I felt like some of that I, I did learn stuff about myself and and, and things. Oh yeah, did you? Um, I, I think so. Um, uh, you know, would you I, talk about this a little bit? Yeah, or no? <laughs> I'll I'll say that like. Okay, that's that's what I was I, thinking. Like maybe yeah. if I did this as a teenager, I don't know if I would have the maturity, you know, do the exploration and you know having the realizations I have when I do those things now. You know, I, I would probably yeah. just let's see how how many monsters I can see with this or something like this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, it was a lot of that, but it was also a lot of um, I, I, there was a fair amount of. I guess, you know, like, like if I hear things as an adult, you know, when I hear people talk about like quantum physics and things like that, um, I, I kind of get it. Like it's hard for people to wrap their head around some of that stuff, but I, but I kind of get it. And I think it's because of some of those experiences. Um, so like, uh, while I don't believe in like metaphysical, um, you know, supernatural things is not a, it's not a part of my life in, in any way, except for dice. Um, when you're playing my game, um, uh, I, I get some of the, the more difficult concepts of like different states of reality, right? Like things existing as possibilities, you know, the idea in quantum mechanics that like things are in a state of, of, of possibilities until they sort of coalesce or coalesce into like a single thing that, that people experience, um, which then opens the door to a bunch of other things. Right. And, I, and I'm oversimplifying all of this, but, um, but that concept uh, I, I kind of get, and then I think it's because of some of the things that I, I experienced or thought about uh, when I was younger. So for sure. Yeah. It, it is weird. Like there were there were some things that you experience, and then you read about it, you know, in a in a spiritual book or things like. Oh, that kind of connects. Uh, but you also mentioned, you know, being an atheist, uh, like a staunch atheist. Were, were you always like this? Were or were you raised religious? Uh, you talked about a little bit about your mother and how. Oh yeah, yeah. How I was, was Catholic. <laughs> yeah. 
How was that no, was... that transition for you? And are you absolute about this, or like you would you be open, you know, to other kind of interpretation? Because I started being open about other stuff because I'm an atheist too, but you know, kind of exploring possibilities. Because there is this phrase about this, uh, you know, Pete Holmes, uh, who is part of the podcast, is a comedian, and he talks about like all comedians are atheists, basically. And he he, he was not. And he always saying, "Yeah, it's it's all bullshit, man. When you die, it's over, man. There's there's anything. It's all bullshit. It makes no sense." And he goes, mm -hmm. "Oh yeah, but does this make sense? This this also makes no fucking sense. So that's kind <laughs> of that's a precedence for more shit that doesn't make any sense." <laughs> and, yes. And he talks about like, "Oh yeah, the Big Bang. What what was before the Big Bang? Nothing. There was nothing before the Big Bang. Oh, okay. So when you die, what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. Oh, so when you die, you go back to your creator." No way. So kind of, you know, it has some similarities. Even even the atheism has some, you know, weird uh connecting things in a way, right? Um uh, some people would argue no, they they don't because like <laughs> atheism is a, isn't a belief. It's it's just kind of an identifier. It's just a it is it's like a tag. But there's a lot of stuff we don't understand yet, right? Right, and 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 so I think some of the some of the things that you're talking about would be more from somebody with a Judeo Christian uh, viewpoint. So uh, I grew up Catholic, uh, you know. Uh, my mom wasn't super Catholic because my mom was a, a, a single mother in a country that she didn't speak the language in and she had a shitty job and she had to raise two boys. And so she was always a very strong, independent woman, woman. Uh, but then when she was put in that situation, even more so. So she was very skeptical. She's like, I believe in God. I, I like, I like church. She's like, but I don't believe in men. She's like that person stand that priest is not anything but he's special oh, yeah. he's just another man just like you just like me he's not perfect so but i do believe in god and i think that maybe this person is speaking you know about god and i can learn something and, and so that was kind of her her attitude toward it and um you know consequently she she made me be very uh self-reliant and very self-centered like my mom is wonderful um but i i grew up that way and, and at one point um i i I questioned things when I was a kid. I used to read a lot and I would go to book to libraries and get books that I had no business reading when I was very young. And so I would read about other religions and stuff like that. And, and so I, I became naturally curious. Um, I had a very, very, very brief stint as, you know, a, a, an evangelical Christian. And that was like a couple of months, less than a year, probably when I was like, I don't know, 12 or something. Um, and then I just was like, this is bullshit. Um, and then I never really looked back. I didn't think about it much. Um, I did, and I still am. Uh, well, I was I was very much practicing, and I was very into uh, Zen Buddhism for a long time. And if there was any like religion that I would identify with, I've always said it would be Zen Buddhism, particularly Zen, because Zen is like zen is the pbta of of religions right like it's barely a game like it's 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 the into the odd of religions right like it's barely you can barely call into the odd a game because it's at its core it's what like three pages maybe of rules there's not a lot but you have to wrap your head around these big concepts to to really 
enjoy it. Uh, so Zen for me is kind of like that thing where it's, it's, um, there's not a lot of what I call, uh, you know, the woo, you know, like magic and stuff. There's not a lot of that in Zen and it's very practical applications. And, and it does ask those questions about like, you know, what happens when we die? Right. Um, it's more about how to live, right? Yeah. It's more about how to live. How to die. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially the, the, the answer is it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if there is an afterlife. It doesn't really matter. Um, the moment matters and the way that you live your life in that moment do have repercussions and they do have other things that can happen, but it's not a metaphysical thing. It's just the way that people are. And so, um, those kinds of things, um, I am more inclined to align myself with. You know, I don't, I don't practice Zen Buddha. I, sh- I probably should go back into like meditating and stuff. Um, but the values you studied for it, it's something that stuck to you. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The values have absolutely stuck with me. Um, and, and, and here's the thing is that because like Zen Buddhism, you know, they, they aspire to believe in nothing and to be nothing and to live in a state of emptiness. Right. Um, it's really easy to take like a Pete Holmes kind of thing. It's like, it's all bullshit. It does, you know, it's all bullshit. Well, maybe it's not all bullshit, right? Like whatever happens, maybe is that bullshit? Who knows? We don't know. Right. But, um, looking at it, like it doesn't matter is in my opinion, uh, that's very fatalist. It's very nihilistic. Right. And there's a fine line between like Zen and nihilism. Uh, yeah, you know, nihilist, nihilist is like it, nothing matters, right? It's just very cynical. Where the opposite has is a lot, true. Work. Has a lot similarity with stoicism too. It's like yes, uh, some some things matter, but we do care about a lot of stuff that in the end doesn't matter that much. We get stuck into you know things outside of our control, and you know what other people will think, what this status means if I have this object if i don't have that and then one thing that's a phrase that uh has been helping me a lot and then remind me it's like it's not about uh it's about disposition instead of position yes yeah absolutely yeah i agree um ever since i saw you posting about like stoicism i i every once in a while i'll like do a quick google and i'll read a little bit i'm like oh that's really cool i need to come back and read this because i i think there's more there uh that I think would yeah. f- I would find interesting. The books talk uh, cite a lot, uh, quote a lot about Zen Buddhism and the similarities between the two. And there's a lot of you know faiths and, and 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 philosophies that have very similar concepts about this. You know, doing you know taking care of your mind and doing what is up to you, and you know uh, accepting what is what is not. Like as you said, and the Zen Buddhism is a lot about you know accepting. It is what it is. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's just right. It's just being right. This kind of thing. Yeah, like I, I, uh, you know, tell people who who grew up in Judeo, you know, Christianity, kind of stuff that um, that Judeo Christianity tends to focus on answers that are outside of yourself. 
and the concept of original sin is there and the concept that you're a flawed person to begin with. And the answers are not, the answers are out there. The answer is a God or a law or, or any of these things, right? The, the answer is out there. Um, whereas Eastern religions tend to be more inner focused where now you, you are you and the answers are there in you. You just have to uncover all this crap that we all carry yeah. to find it. And there's different ways to do it, right? You know, you know, I think oh, even yeah. when you get down to Hinduism, Hinduism kind of still boils down to that basic concept. There's a lot of other things that go with it, but I think it still kind of gets to that, that core or that there is an, an answer inside. Um, and I think that's how Eastern religions work. And, and I find that more comforting. Um, you know, my, my wife and I talk about some of these things sometimes late at night. Uh, we spend a lot of time just talking about life and yeah, philosophy and stuff. That's great. Um, uh, yeah, that's why I love her. She's, she's absolutely the best. Um, and a lot of people, you know, will say, well, how can you live not believing in anything and believing that you die? And, and I'm like, cause I don't need magic. Like, uh, my life is, is magic, right? Like my, my existence, me being in a place in a time to experience a thing and all these things have to happen. Like my wife and I talk yeah. about all the stupid bullshit that we had to sort of put up with before we got to a point that we met. And if any one of those little pieces would have been different, we would have just passed each other by. Yeah. And when we think about those things, we're both like, not worth it. Wouldn't change it. Right. Cause it doesn't matter. What matters right That's now is what matters. Yeah. And so we think about like, you know, if we would have just ended, like something would have, we would have never met if just one thing would have changed. You know, when at one point in time, when I was in Arizona, I was planning on moving to China. So that was my plan. Like I got out of the army, I was going to go to China and, and teach English. And then from there, I wanted to hop to Korea. And then from there, I wanted to hop to Europe. And then I figured I'd never come back home. I would just be in Europe for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, had I done any of those things, I never would have met my wife. I would have never met, you know, my biological kid, never mind the, the, the two boys that I'm raising now, right? And the other kids that I've raised before with my previous relationship, I wouldn't have raised all those kids. I wouldn't have known them. And, and they are the best parts of my life. So... You can't trade those things. Um, and that is magic enough. That's enough for me is that improbability, right? Um, that improbability of things happening for a situation for you to exist and experience something is, is wondrous enough. You know, uh, what, what is it that um, Asimov, like we're all made of star stuff, right? Like that's yeah. wondrous we enough. We are stardust, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's is. enough. That's great. Like you can't get bigger than that. So I don't need any of that other stuff. It's not, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I was even going to ask, you know, when you always said about atheism and the supernatural, and you probably never had any experience with, you know, seeing aliens or ghosts or anything like this, or have you met anyone that had any kind of experience of this? Yeah, I met lots. Um, so uh, the reason I got into conventions <laughs> was I, I did video, um, convention videos and stuff like that. And people knew, you know, people around me knew that I did video work. And at one point, um, one of my cousin's like ex-girlfriends was a friend of mine that I ended up working with. It was really weird. But she wanted to do a, a 
like a paranormal YouTube show, right? Like kind of like ghost hunters kind of thing where you go and, and she's like, you should come film that. I was like, I don't believe in any of that shit. I was like, so I don't know if you really want me to go. Cause I don't, I don't, I'm not going to react to things. Like I don't care. And um, that, that's going to be the best one. Because if anyone's going to catch a ghost is the person who doesn't believe it because Every, every ghost show, they say, oh, a ghost, a ghost, oh, it's gone. Oh, another ghost, yeah. a ghost, oh, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, that was her point. It would be the perfect one to catch She turned around. Yeah, she turned it around on me like that. And she's like, you know what? That's exactly why you should do it, because you don't believe in any of this stuff. So maybe that's the best point of view. And you're the guy with the camera. So you're going to keep filming whatever it is. And you're going to be like, oh, that, that was just air or whatever. And so, I thought, you know, that was as close as I got to, to that kind of stuff. Um, um, so, but no, I, I don't, I don't. You, you didn't know, catch a ghost? <laughs> no, I never did it. Uh, it, it kind of oh, fell apart before it started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and like UFOs and stuff like that, I, I think it's highly unlikely. You know, I, I believe that there is life out there. I think it's, it's the, the math doesn't work that we're the only things that exist. Um, but I also don't think that like, you know, there's a lot of spaceships and stuff that come visit us. I don't, I don't really believe that at all. Um, I will say though, um, to keep on the sort of the weird topic, I am fascinated, absolutely fascinated with conspiracy theories. And, oh, yeah. uh, what's your uh, favorite, uh, lizard people. I love the idea of lizard people. My, you know, like one of my favorite, like if I were to run a long-term campaign of like a fantasy game, invariably lizard people would come into the equation because I just love the idea of lizard people. Um, That's very sword and sorcery too. Yeah, it, it's so fucking weird. And like people believe, like I live next to the Superstition Mountains. Like, you know, you can look it up on, on Google when you get a chance. So there's big mountains. And there's people that say that there is uh, lizard people that live in there somewhere. And I haven't found all the stuff where people talk about it specifically in there, but I am fascinated because now I want to go up there and see where people think that they saw things. And not because I believe in it, just because I think those stories are cool. Like I think those oh, yeah. stories are so cool and so fun. Um, so I like stuff like that. Uh, the, the shape changing people and, um, hollow earth and 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 all this stuff like i think it's fun um i don't believe in any of it remotely but as as fuel for my imagination imagination. yes it's so and for games like i i love you know i watch those documentaries that are more like you know uh not really necessarily real there is is this documentary called uh, Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix. Oh, yeah. That yeah, yeah. talks about <laughs> up. Yeah. Not necessarily that's real. There's a lot of strange stuff that made you, you know, ponder some things. But I don't care. It's great it's stuff fun. for Primal Quest, for example. Yeah. It's inspiration for gaming. So I don't care if it's real or not. It's, it, it can be real in, the, in an imagination reality. That's yes. enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how I think of it, too. It's all like, oh, this is all going in the GM yeah. catalog of things that I have to pull on at one point. Yeah, and I love all of those stories of like ancient technology and ancient civilizations that don't exist. Like one of the reasons why I love Primal Quest and, and like 
I love Primal Quest. I think it is like uh, it, it is one of the coolest settings that hasn't been explored enough. And and I remember hearing you talk about um, uh, some of the stuff. It's not in the actual book, but I think it's it's in probably what you're working on. That like there there are artifacts and things around that don't oh, make yeah. sense and and don't quite necessarily fit with the idea that this is a, a completely prehistoric world like there's yeah, other things the, yeah one of the ideas like time is cyclical so the future is also the past and the things keep repeating so there's there's ruins that from the future but it's also from the past and you know and i think that's cool kind of and and so the idea of like uh this world that's so old that it's it's something else right like i loved thundar the barbarian it's like one of, it was one of my favorite cartoons growing up and and that whole concept i think is, is very cool and um all of these things go into my head so my, my big failure of uh of 2023 was i didn't i didn't keep up with dungeon 23 but i was actually doing uh primal quest as dungeon 23 so I do have a couple wow. of things that I did make, and I'm probably going to put them out there like on itch, just as little adventures, because I was fascinated by the idea of unexplored worlds and other cultures and other things that sort of exist in this weird mix of time. Um, I, uh, I like games that, um, I like games where, so one of the things that I, the way that I run Morkboard if it's consistent is that um nothing is consistent in the world so you can get from one part of you know the, the little island that morkborg is on like it could take three days for some people but that same route could take you know three weeks for somebody else and there's no real explanation for it because the world and time is is squishy it's, it's all apart yeah yeah it's all and so i like those ideas for role-playing games where like um the oh, world yeah. is the unreliable narrator. Oh yeah. And the players I, I, are the only consistent. I had this setting for like sword and sorcerer adventure. And if you would go into the ruins of this ancient, you know, advanced civilization of sorcerers, like every time it would come out, it would roll on this table. Like what changed in the outside world? Like how because you, you spent two days in the dungeon, but actually when you got out, like five hundred years have passed by and like civilization cool. has changed and stuff like this because it is something we're like we're entering a place outside of the sun the reality is, is different and it's like the weird on the world it's something very fascinating for me too and, and i like to explore this and yeah if primal quest I think those, those ideas, yeah yeah those, i think those ideas are great for an rpg because in my mind in my head canon right um all of the things that you put in like a book would be true, but also other people's games would be true. Oh, and yeah. also my games are true. And none of it makes sense because we don't understand the math, but it does have some sort of logic, but we just don't know it. And that's cool to me. Like the idea yeah. of everything being just a mishmash and you can't really say how it works because it all exists in the same time in the same place. So you go into one cave and <laughs> it's one thing for you, but like, you know, maybe my group of little people go in and it's something completely different. And we, and you and me at a meta level, like 
you like Diogo and Jim talking, like, well, I made this cave and it's this. And I'm like, well, I, they, I used your cave, but I used it for oh, this. Yeah. It's completely different. But in my mind, that world is the same world. It's not two different yeah. worlds. It's just that we don't know how it works. And I think that that's super cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite things about RPGs is that how we are, everybody's playing maybe the same scene, same characters, but each one is imagining their mind differently. Like the characters are a little bit different, the clothes they're wearing, even the monster that are facing. And it's kind of, each one is it's it's a parallel dimension, but it reflects and and also has elements. Everybody share elements, but it's unique in the same way. It, it's yeah, great. Absolutely, mm. I think that's Jim. Super uh, cool. Some of our last questions here. They're a little bit more whimsical. It's not more sure. about you know getting to know your personality and stuff. And if you could choose any superpower to have, what superpower would you use to have? Uh, would you choose to have and and what would be the first thing you would do with that i don't know uh uh i mean obviously if you get the chance to be batman you always be batman which means your superpower is being rich and that's not a bad thing yeah usually like i would do i would be I would blow through all that money quicker than anything else i'd be the worst i would be the best and worst like billionaire in the world because uh, I wouldn't be able to keep it because I would do stupid things right with it. Uh, and that's fun. Um, so my, my favorite superhero doesn't actually have a superpower. Um, my favorite superhero is Green Lantern. Hmm. And, and, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a superpower. He has a ring, but that ring is powered by his willpower and his will on reality you know uh the stronger his will the more sure of what he's doing then the the stronger he, he the the manifestations become from the ring and so um that would be it i would i would probably not be a very good green lantern but i would like to be yeah. a green lantern uh, my question would be like, do you consider yourself uh, a very determined person, like a good willpower? Um, I think so. I think I do. Um, there's a reason why that's my favorite character. I used to tell people before I got uh, diagnosed with ADHD that, um, like, people are like, how how do you like? Because I'm like, I'm always tired. I don't sleep. I you know all these things, and uh, you know. They're like, how do you do these things? I'm like, anger, willpower, and energy drinks. Like, that's how I live. Like, like I just get so yeah. mad that I power through things, right? Um, so I, th I think there's a certain amount of, like, I, I had to compensate for not being medicated by just sort of, like, pushing through, you know, as hard as it is for my brain to, to, to do things sometimes. That's true, yeah. And, and that takes a lot of willpower. And, um, and I fail more often than I succeed, but it doesn't mean that I don't try. So, and where did you say you learned this to have this willpower and determination to you know push through difficulties like this? A mix of everything, a mix of uh, you know, again, listening to punk when I was a kid, which was just all about you know, punching up, you know, fighting the people on top, um, to uh, being in the army where, you know, you learn to, to, 
to endure and to and to push forward and to keep the mission first. Um, to people that I've known and worked with that I see that do amazing things, you know, I, I don't get starstruck by like rock stars or movie stars and stuff like that. Uh, for me, people who are creative are my rock stars. So, you know, unabashedly, you know, you're 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 one of my rock stars. Uh, people who create things are my rock stars. People who make things into reality from nothing are my rock stars. Those are the people that that, that I look uh, look up to. I have a friend who I knew him when he was not very well known. And I, and I messaged him on Twitter. I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't know you were in Phoenix. I, I want to go see you play. And, he, and he's a musician. And now he, he, he's fairly well known for what he does. And he's, he's pretty big and he lives that life. And, and he was like a teacher before, you know, and now, you know, he's a performer and he plays to thousands of people and that's his job. Wow. And he meets famous people and, and he's living this amazing life. And, and, and I admire people that are creative and that can do, uh, that can manifest things out of, out of sheer willpower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. So that's where I learned it. <laughs> and what would think, you know, from fiction, whether it's from, from a game, from a movie, from comics, from literature, uh, that isn't real and would you wouldn't like to be real in our world and, and why? It can be, you know, a faction, a place, a power, you know, uh, a character, anything like this. Uh, if I had to choose something that was real, um, that's weird, I would have to go with, I would have to go with, let me think. Um, Weird or fantastic, or it could be like oh, the force yeah. from Star Wars or anything, dragon. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of that's kind of where I was going. Is 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 like I think, I think, um, I think something like the force would be cool. That's exactly where I was going with it because I'm a I'm a big Star Wars fan, obviously, and I think everybody who's around our age, you know, that is sort of the <laughs> pinnacle yeah. of things, and and like. And the reason that I, I, I say that is because um, I'm not very good at video games, but I, but I do have a um, meta quest, the VR thing. Mm -hmm. And somebody recommended, what is it? Vader, Vader Unleashed or something like that. I forgot what it's called. It's a Darth Force Vader Unleashed. game. No, yeah. no, it's not Force Unleashed. It's, it's, it's a VR oh, game. No. Um, it's a VR game with, with, with Darth Vader in it. And, mm. um, and being in sort of the VR world and interacting and using a lightsaber and, and even though it's, you know, the graphics aren't super good on, on like the, the, the meta quest, um, still seeing Darth Vader that big and still being able to do like force things, even though it looks, you know, not great, you know, there's, there's, you know, PS you know, the new PlayStation games look way better. New Xbox stuff looks way better. But even, <laughs> even with those limited graphics being so immersed in it, it's so fantastical. It's so, I, I almost cried tears of joy playing that game because it was everything that I'd always dreamed of, right? Using a lightsaber, using the force, fighting monsters, yeah. you know, seeing bad guys. Like that's so fantastical. And, and, and I love that so much. And, and like I said, it, it was pure joy, uh, you know, for a almost 50 year old guy, 
so I love that. I think that would be that. Yeah, that's, that's a great, good choice too. And, you know, last question, Jim, is do you remember the last time you felt really happy and, you know, just grateful for, for being here and being alive? And if you do, would you share with us uh, when was that and, and how did you feel? Um, yeah, uh, uh, I was with my wife. We went to, so like I said, uh, I just bought a Jeep. We live, uh, right next to, you know, um, just open desert. They built a new, like, um, regional park, uh, up there, which is basically just, you know, they set little like gazebos and stuff. So you can sit and, and have a picnic and stuff like that. And they have a bunch of these. Um, so I, I took my jeep that i just got and i took the top off and we loaded up the dogs two of our kids weren't home this weekend because they had other stuff to do with their other siblings but our oldest um teenager was with us and so uh i i packed up the little dogs i we packed everything up took the top off the jeep drove up to this park you know through like rough terrain and went to this park and there's like a little Uh, you know, like there's a picnic table and, and, and cooking. My wife was looking at me as I was driving. And I was like, what are you looking at? Because she was just like staring at me. She's like, you look really happy. And I was like, I am. Because uh, I love riding a Jeep. Like I, I, I've owned a Jeep. Excuse me. I've owned a Jeep before when I was young. And, um, and I loved it. It's one of the few cars that I've loved. And so it was fun to do that. And, uh, and again, on the way home, you know, we went up there. We watched sort of the sun start to set. And the sunsets in Arizona are, are, are pretty spectacular. Um, but it was the, 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 the perfection of the moment of seeing the trees, seeing my wife, who is absolutely gorgeous uh, in, in uh, not the trees, but like the desert landscape and, and all the, because it's very green right now because everything rained. So there's, there's a lot of green with like dirt, like the desert painted dirt kind of thing. Um, and, and seeing her face and, and, and seeing my kid and he was like, you know, he was making burgers and stuff and he's going to go off to college soon. And that's crazy. And my little dogs were yeah. happy because they're getting hamburgers. Like all of that together, um, is perfection. And those are the things that matter. And that's when I was happy. And, uh, and, and it's just one moment like of yeah. my life, but there's, there's a lot more to go and a lot more to do. Yeah, but just realizing those moments and you know being able to to enjoy them uh, while they're happening—that's sensational, and it's yeah. something we need to practice more, right? Yeah, and it's always like, how did I get here? My favorite um, when I was when I was so me and my best friend growing up have the same birthday. Um, we we're both mm. uh, born on March twenty third, so there's only like uh, two years between us, right? Um, But we used to do everything together, including celebrate our birthdays. And and um, one year we were trying to go to Hollywood on our birthday, and it was Hollywood was like where we were going was closed, and it was it was horrible because we couldn't get around this thing. And it turns out they were filming a movie, and um, they were filming The Doors. And um, so when that movie came out, we were it was like, oh shit, we were there the night they filmed that. We got to go see it. So we went like opening night to go see The Doors, and there's a scene in that movie that kind of sums up. Uh, my life and it's a kind of a perfect way to end this really is there's a scene in that movie towards the end where it's just like this fat Jim Morrison with a beard uh, with, and, and, and a little 
a little party hat, right? Around all these kids and he's at a kid's party. And he just looks around and he says, this is the strangest life I've ever lived. That's my whole life. Yeah. And it kind of is, you know, for everybody, it's really strange. But we kind of adapt and kind of accept this as normal. And then we kind of go adapting to other people's normality too as well. And it's something we have to watch out, right? To be authentic in a way. Jim, it was really great having you here. And I'm really grateful we had this talk and then meant to share uh, your wisdom with us. So I'm really grateful <laughs> for that. Uh, do you have any, you know, less uh, message to give to the wonderful wielders out there that might be listening to us? Play more RPGs. Yeah. Great message. <laughs> Jim, uh, can you now take us out saying, you know, the catchphrase of the show? Keep it weird, everybody. Keep it weird, everybody. Thank you for listening to Weird Games and Weirder People. If you'd like to keep up with the show, please subscribe to be notified when we release new episodes. If you'd like to support us, please leave a review or head on to code-fi.com slash WGNWP. See you next time and remember, Weird is the new Wonderful.